welcome to the Show Up and Stay podcast. I'm your host, Deanne Knighton. Thank you for coming back to join us today. I am excited to introduce a special guest that is going to speak to us about the other side of recovery, those who are impacted as supporting loved ones through that process. This person is a leader and a mother and has had a long career involved in the nonprofit space, collecting and raising millions of dollars to support change, but has recently adjusted focus to look at something that was closer to home. KL, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be with you today. Let's start today with a brief background of some of the circumstances that led you to this cause of wanting to support those in the process of finding resources for themselves and their loved ones. I'm the daughter of an addict who has since passed. You know, back in the 50s, it was very common that mothers in particular were prescribed medications, uppers in the morning, downers at night. So my mom was a prescription addict. My brother, became a cocaine addict. I married an alcoholic and I am the mother of a recovering addict. And so this has been my lifelong journey. And I've been working on this for decades at this point. But I would say that being the mom is probably the most poignant call to action, so to speak, for my own personal work that it could have possibly been. The story that kind of, I think, centers and gives people a really clear window in is that I'm a business coach consultant. And so I went in to meet with clients of mine, the executive team of a company, and this was in August of 2018. And I noticed the energy was off in the room as soon as I hit the doorway and very quickly learned from the execs that the CEO's son had overdosed and died the previous Saturday, the CEO was not in the room. They're reeling with how do we navigate this? How do we deal with this? Our CEO, for all intents and purposes, has kind of been taken off the playing field. They're in a growth phase of their company. And how how do they navigate this just as a company, but also how do they navigate this as an exec? And how do they navigate this as a person who loves their CEO? I was there to hold the space for them. What they did not know until months later, when I believed that my story would serve, was that on the same day that her son passed away from a drug overdose, I was there and witnessed my son being arrested at gunpoint because he was in drug psychosis. So between Saturday and Tuesday, I had done enough of my own personal work to be able to hold the space for them in the midst of this trauma for them in losing their son. Don't get me wrong. It obviously crossed my mind that our story could have been a similar story on Saturday. And nonetheless, it was traumatic enough for me that I had a lot of work to do in those three days to be able to hold the space and be present with them without my track running in the background. Or to basically say, I I can't, I can't handle this. Given that as kind of this pivotal moment in my own life story, professionally and then personally, certainly when we witnessed my son, we came home and I immediately started like, okay, who do I need to call? Who do I need to access in order to figure out how to navigate? 
jail? Who do I need to be able to talk to in jail? Um, he's in drug psychosis. He was in isolation. You're able to find certain resources to find out what's kind of happening with them, but not enough to feel comfortable as a parent. And so I got him on the hotline, so to speak, and talked to a couple of my closest friends who knew people within the drug court industry and were able to connect me up so then I could talk to them and find out more about how this, how this actually works. And then I'm a huge reader, huge learner, um, started looking for, for books and resources to learn more about this disease in a way that I didn't understand it previously, and then gather my tribe around me to support me and my family in the midst of our own crisis and our own struggles around this. What I was really clear early on was that I, I didn't want to stay in crisis. And people talked about, you know, surviving. I didn't want to just survive because I, I love my life. I love my work. I love my wife. I love all the things that I'm up to. And this is just one segment of the totality of who I am. So I wasn't satisfied with just surviving. I wanted to be around people who were having conversations about thriving and how do you actually create that for yourself and others in the midst of dealing with chaos and crisis. In terms of seeking treatment, I really held back from doing it for at least a good five to seven years too long because of my fear of what I thought it looked like on the other side. Now I was this sad person in recovery that everybody had to dance around. Mm -hmm. I didn't want that. There is a way through this and it doesn't mean that it's not hard, but it is important that I think we start changing the idea that by getting help and, and moving forward, that we're somehow admitting something that is going to create a new life we don't want. Part of our work and my work is to shatter the notion of shame, shatter the notion of guilt, then shatter the notion of judgment so that we can get healthy. We're all in this together. There is no separation of recovering from whatever you're recovering from. It's all very similar. Um, it's just we walk through a little different door. And then to get super clear that we're, we're all kind of in on this journey of unfolding. And to love ourselves first and foremost through our own journey, our own unfolding, much less the person that we love or the people that we love that are dealing with this disease. They are people to embrace, love, and hold through their unfolding. We all have these moments of, like you just spoke to, great, you held off for five to seven years because of the story you were telling yourself about what it looked like. Let's shatter these stories because they don't serve us. My experience has been is that generally people drop into what did I do wrong if they're not just saying, take them, fix them, and then it'll all be good, which is a lot of that going on. And if you are a parent, you had the experience of these shattered dreams. Uh, because you have a dream for your child. And when you realize that, oh my goodness, they're dealing with addiction, my son got arrested, could die, go to jail, have felonies, can't get work, you know, all the things that you automatically go to from a story perspective, it can be overwhelming and it will take you down the rabbit hole of anxiety and depression. 
we need to get the skills and skill up to change the narrative that we are holding collectively as a culture around this. And it starts with one person. It starts with us kind of going, okay, you know, assessing what was my role in this? And now what can my role be in this moving forward? What's the healing that I most need to do in order to become the next best version of myself? How do I support my son, daughter, mother, father in a healthy way, figuring out, okay, what does healthy look like? And I went to a lot of resources to pick the things that resonated the most with me and then let the rest of it go. I just came to this place where I got super clear. Finally, I could not give him any money whatsoever, no matter how dire the story was. And that was a massive struggle for me because I want desperately wanted to do something, something that would be considered helping to show that I loved my child and I needed to do the work on that, which took months to get to the point where loving him did not look like that. Loving him looked like sending him a note, showing up at his doorstep just to say, I love you. I could I care about you. I am supporting you in a way that when you are ready to get help, I will be there. Part of my work was to actually do a vision quest process. It had been on my list for a long time. My best friend is a practicing shaman that allowed me to really on multiple levels, certainly from a spiritual perspective, get clearer about my own journey, developing better skills in order to navigate in a healthy way. And then it gave me another little tribe of people that held the space for me um, in the midst of the tears and the heartache and those really dark days. Will he die? Will he live? Will he, will he, will he, will he? All the questions that you ask yourself in those moments of desperation as a parent. What really stands out to me that I think is really beautiful about your message is this idea that the two of you as separate individuals are on your own quest. That's the piece that gets muddy. You being able to see yourself separate from the identity of a mother of someone in addiction that to me feels like the healthy space. That's where we start to be able to have the appropriate boundaries and lose some of that baggage that is is heavy. It can take you out. And and it does take a lot of people out. We need to put our oxygen masks on first in order to be able to serve and show up in a healthy way for our loved ones. And that is a very tricky navigation for a lot of people. And I talk about the power of asking for help. We are not trained as a culture to ask for help much less receive it. And so there's a skill set that goes with that. And honestly, I actually really think about most things as skill sets to perfect. So I know, you know, the day after all this happened with my son in terms of the arrest, first and foremost, I completely fell apart emotionally. I gave myself permission to drop to my knees and cry. And then I have a pretty rigorous self-care program already, and I need to up my skills. How am I going to do that? Where Voices and Courage was born was 
I cobbled together all these resources, my tribes, the people that would hold me, but I should not have had to do that. It was the year 2018. Why is there not some place for loved ones to go? I mean, there's Al-Anon. That's a great resource for a lot of people. It wasn't, it didn't serve me in the thriving space. It didn't give me all the resources that I know I needed in order to thrive. I'm on the journey to gather and learn. And, and I thought, okay, well, then we need to create a space where people can go and have all the resources and hear people's stories and know that, oh my God, that's my story. And somebody else is courageous enough to tell it. And we've given people permission to do that and they've seized it. And so it is the beginning of that, as far as I'm concerned, shattering the shame, shattering the judgment, shattering the guilt. I think there's such a beautiful shift happening and taking all of this out of the dark and moving it into the light. There are people who definitely wait too long to get the help that they need for the wrong reasons. It's an unfolding journey to get to that space. I decided I was going to play a role in breaking the stigma, the judgment, the guilt, that I was no longer going to allow the shackles of that to constrain me. January of this year, I did a very public presentation to probably about 100 women business leaders. And it was about how to navigate the chaos of COVID and come into 2021 um, with power and courage and confidence. And I started that presentation with this story that I started this podcast with. That's when I knew that I had shattered it. I don't give a rip about people's shame, bringing shame to it, judgment to it, guilt to it, whatever their story is, I'm not adopting it. I'm going to be part of the solution of shifting our culture around those stories. Voices and Courage was born out of the question, and I believe in powerful questions, what are the gifts and lessons embedded in this experience for me? And it began to become clear to me that we didn't have a resource. That's unacceptable. And I certainly had enough of a network to begin to explore, okay, if we were going to put a resource together, what would that look like, sound like, and feel like? So Voices and Courage was born out of my own necessity to put together resources a safe community and listening to other people's stories that are raw and real about their own journey. Now we have a website that's up, voicesincourage.com. There are podcasts on there. There are blogs on there. You can see more than likely your story embedded in, in those stories. And if you want more information, you can let us know. We'll send you information on a fairly regular basis. If you are more interested, um, we have a membership that we are beta testing right now, but it will go live November 22nd for the world. And embedded on that membership site um, are lots of interviews, um, lots of blogs. We have group coaching three times a month. We have a safe community. We have two online training courses that are available to people. There is a third in production right now. So training people on how to take care of themselves, how to, I call it the five acts of courage, 
which is feel, take care of yourself, build a strong community because 95% of our success or failure is directly determined by who we surround ourselves with. Change the questions that you're asking yourself. Profound questions lead you to better answers. Shift your, your mindset and your beliefs. Like you have spoken so great to the mindset that was holding you in a space that didn't serve you. And finally, be a vigilant learner and continue to learn. And like one of the assets that I utilized was a documentary that I, when Sam was in one of his rehabs, I asked the front desk, what do you recommend? And I did not know of this resource until I asked them. So continue to ask for resources, books, podcasts, documentaries that will help you learn to navigate this, create different mindset. At the same time, I'm going to strongly encourage people, whatever resonates with you, keep it. If it doesn't resonate with you, let it go. There were books I read where pieces would resonate and other pieces was like, "Mm, I'm not doing it that way. Oh, that doesn't feel right for me. And so I took the nuggets and I pulled them forward and I let the rest of it go. There's something that happens, and you spoke to this earlier, when something significant happens in your life, your veracity for that information takes on a life of its own. And so Mm -hmm. with that, though, there is a lot out there and you have to have that discretion. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to follow those breadcrumbs that lead you to the thing that feels right. I think the, the world of online communities has created such a different possibility for that, especially during COVID to see things like meetings and Mm -hmm. support groups going much more online. And Mm -hmm. I'll admit I had some resistance to it at first, Mm -hmm. but I have embraced it fully now as it has opened up doors to people that I never would have been able to meet and stories Mm -hmm. that I never would have been able to hear. That is a massive gift from my perspective that came out of COVID. There is no reason anyone on the planet for the most part should be isolated now. Um, The other thing is that when we looked into the space of loved ones or addiction, alcoholism, so on and so forth, they were isolated pockets. You know, somebody in Arizona is doing an in-person meeting. Well, that's not helpful to me in Eugene, Oregon, but we need a global community that can support and hold each one of us. And now we have the opportunity to create that. You can connect with somebody really powerfully on a Zoom call. It's not quite the same way, of course, of being in person, but I would never have met you if it wasn't for this medium. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to connect with people like you and others that are in different parts of the country and around the world. Thank you for the work that you're doing here. This is just gonna continue to be work that is making a difference problem's not going to go away anytime soon. Thank you. It was a thrill to be here and I appreciate the work that you're doing in the world too. Thank you so much for being with us.